This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We are going to have a very practical podcast series, the ABCs of physical activity measurements. The aim of this series is to provide practical information for practitioners and researchers who want to learn more how to measure physical activity in different settings and how this data can be used. This is part two of the series and we are covering what are the basics of physical activity measurement with devices. In the first part, we went different ways of measuring physical activity, and now we are concentrating on device-based. And I will be joined again by Dr. Miriam Capriza for this episode. Welcome, Miriam. Hi. Well, thank you very much. Great to have you again. So if we start with the basics of measurements with devices you can have the device in different places could you tell a little bit more about that yes sure um yeah so the, there are many um different or you can put the, the devices on the, on different places i think one of still the most used in research is the tie um because of course it provides exactly the the walking or sitting the distinction between sitting and lying down gets a bit uh, more complicated there but let's say the tie the hip because it's close to the center of mass is uh, a very used location for for placing the sensor i can say one of the the drawbacks and my studies in netherlands or people bike a lot with that with the with the hip was difficult to recognize uh, or it's impossible to recognize uh, cycling uh, activity um then the the back uh lower back or back in general especially for detecting between sitting or standing sitting and laying down uh position and of course the wrist um for a matter of comfort let's say also many times so i think what is important is exactly what you want to measure when you are uh, when you are planning a study what what are the most important outcomes and also activities uh, that people perform in your population so as i said if you want to detect cycling maybe the the hip is not is not a very good or or the wrist for example is not is not the best location um so that is uh, that is one of the considerations uh, to have what type of activity and of course now that is very important what type of algorithms you will uh, use because the algorithms that are use, used for um, or that are applicable for uh, let's say the wrist are for activity detection are not the same of course and on the tie so those are the two considerations that i would have yeah so that's that's important for the very basics you need to have algorithms that are specific to the wearing location you cannot use them in if you have had device on the wrist you cannot use the tie-worn algorithms and vice versa and and maybe to good to add here there might be practitioners who are very familiar with the consumer devices and most of them are worn on the wrist and that's just the convenience because usually there's a watch features and and people can access the device they can see the screen but if we think from the physical activity measurement point 
the wrist is probably one of the worst places in human body where you can put the device because we can consider that physical activity is mainly about moving our legs those are the big muscle mass of course moving arms is also some activity but it's it's usually not what we want to measure and we do a lot of things with our hands with arms so there will be a lot of accelerations in arms even when we are sitting so all that will be detected as as activity even when we are not moving so it's much better to have it somewhere else either in the torso or preferably in the in the thigh and like Miriam was saying when it's the accelerometer it can also detect it can see the gravity and we can measure the orientation of the device so if it's on the thigh we can detect when the person is sitting and the thigh is horizontal when the person stands up the device moves to vertical position and we can detect this change and then also when it's on the thigh we are following the movement of the leg so it it gives much more accurate results uh, Miriam do you have anything to add for the sensor location uh, no there is only I was just thinking one point that uh, or reason for using the wrist uh, location that I definitely would say is for people in a wheelchair for example of course don't forget that because uh, especially in rehabilitation uh, settings um, or people that, or of course, if it's only wheelchair, uh, it's obvious, but people that um, think about older adults that move outside in a wheelchair and inside. So if at least partial of the, of the activities in a wheelchair, then, uh, then it's good to consider the wrist, of course, um, as a location. Yeah, I, I agree. And then if we think about what kind of type of data you can get, and I'm talking now about this kind of research-oriented devices, which are basically based on accelerometer. So they are measuring the acceleration in three spatial um, dimensions. So we get basically all the move. It's measuring acceleration, but basically we can simplify that it's measuring movement. There's pretty much always <laughs> always uh, acceleration when when we move our parts of our body. And some researchers like to get the raw data and it is the actual acceleration signal. So it is G, G forces per second and it is usually with the high sampling rate, meaning that there is many samples per second. Very normal is, for example, uh, 12 samples per second and there is three channels. So you have actually 36 numbers every second and if you start to think that you measure one week you have quite a long file of numbers so from practical point of view if you don't need the raw data it's probably overkill to measure and analyze it from the raw data because it is it is a lot of lot of data and there are many research oriented devices that can directly actually analyze activity type from the raw signal that it measures but you don't need to see the raw signal you don't need to transfer the data to your computer you will right away get the result variables and when i'm saying activity type it can mean for example that one activity type is sitting one is standing then it's low intensity activity moderate intensity activity 
vigorous intensity. Well, I went a little bit more for the activity intensity. It would be walking, cycling, and for example, running, running as activity type. And then we go to classify those in different activity intensities, which are usually light, moderate, and, and vigorous. And yeah, it's quite important to get all those because all of those have different physiological effects and different effects for for our health and if you have a very inactive person it is probably easiest first to increase the light intensity activity which you can do among daily tasks you don't need to buy sport clothes or or sweat or go do something so it's important usually to measure the light intensity activity and and of course you can get also steps steps are again a lot from consumer devices it might be better just to measure activity time as minutes and hours and minutes because steps if you have a two persons other one is longer and other one shorter or taller and shorter there will be more steps for the shorter person in the same duration because the step length is is shorter so it might be better to have just hours and minutes of activity but let's say that people are participants are usually excited about steps so you might sometimes consider reporting those Miriam, do you have anything to add for the type of data? No, I think you uh, you covered it uh, it well. Indeed, steps is something that people understand, and that's uh, especially when you are providing feedback. And I, uh, we will talk about it later. It's easier than, for example, density counts. That's uh, something that's very used in the research world. But if you tell to uh, to people how many counts they did. Uh, it's not tangible. It's not understandable. So the steps is um, is something that's that's understandable by the participants. And and of course also hours and minutes, the duration. People people know those. And and maybe maybe to add for the activity intensity, it can basically also be expressed expressed as energy expenditure in in kilocalories. So that's also something interesting for participants and. The unique thing that we can get in this that we can get the energy expenditure in different activity types so people can see from the report that how much did they expend energy in standing how much did they expend cycling walking so they can get get an idea that where does their energy expenditure actually come from how could they increase their energy expenditure the easiest way and this might be very useful information for weight weight management, weight weight loss things. And if we then move to considerations to have when you choose a sensor, so what, what should people consider when they choose sensor? Uh, I would say uh, that there are two, uh, two points. The, uh, the user friendliness, and I would call it the participant friendliness. So uh, you want, of course, people, the thing that you want the most is people are compliant and to the protocol, so wear the sensor for the time that you define. So you want the sensor to be comfortable, of course, doesn't cause any um, any kind of uh, annoyance, I don't know, uh, that you feel it while you are moving or while you are sitting. And then uh, what I think is also important is the battery life. Uh, if you are only doing a one-day measurement and the battery lasts one day, it's okay. But if you are measuring for longer periods of time and you have to charge the device every day, you are increasing the likelihood that people will forget or to charge or to place it again after charging. 
so the the battery uh definitely i would say that's yeah comfort and and battery are most likely the the most important factors for the participants maybe i'm forgetting something uh and then for the the researchers of course you want to be easy because as researcher let's say uh if it's difficult for the participants you know you will get a lot of phone calls a lot of uh emails you have to explain a lot and you can explain once twice so that's something that that you don't want because it causes annoyance in the participant and time for you so how uh, again it's how easy how ready to use uh, it is how uh, that you get you have a device okay i can start measuring now um but i have the feeling that i'm forgetting things yeah i can i can cover some so so if we if we think of of researchers what miriam said that if you if it's difficult to use you usually have a lot of participants so even small things will add up and you will be spending a lot of time solving problems so you really want to have easy to use device for both participant and for you as a researcher and then if you are a practitioner you have meetings with clients you don't really have extra time you might get the device back when when the customer is there you need to be able to quickly do the report and start discussing the the results so you want something that is really foolproof and and you know that it it really works so i think those are are pretty important things to consider and maybe a little bit advertisement at fibion we we have really tried to put a lot of effort to create devices that are easy to use we have device that can measure has battery life of 22 weeks so basically in a very long project you don't need to charge it at all the devices can be controlled from the cloud and you have easy to understand participant feedback reports uh, that are easy to create and and maybe that leads to our next point feedback to participants and again if i start from the consumer devices people are used to devices that are providing real time or almost real time feedback and it might sound like of course that's best because people will right away see that what are the results but many times in research we just want usually to have a measurement to get the snapshot that what is the activity we don't want change the behavior of course there's behavior change studies but many times we want to give a real picture and if you are a practitioner you probably want to first define what is the baseline how much people sit how much they are active and then you want to change the behavior but if you are having a device that is giving all the time real time feedback you maybe get a really active one week of data which is not representative of what is the activity level of the person and you your discussion might go that all right it seems that you are active enough so just keep going how you are and and people are not actually active so many times it it's actually better that you don't get real time feedback you might want to have that you measure for example one week no encouragement for being more active but actually being exactly like you are and then you go through the results together uh, miriam do you have anything to add for the participant feedback no i think you you 
covers very well. It it's, uh, the feedback can be extremely valuable if you are doing an interventional study, um, but often even interventional studies, you want to have baseline measurements, as you said. So uh, it's important to, uh, to have at least a possibility of not providing any feedback. I know that uh, one of my studies, I cover the screen of the the sensor with black tape and i hoped of course that people wouldn't remove it i i don't know but i i did that uh it was a long time ago with the fitbit zip that was you could put it on the on the hip or uh, somewhere and you i put a lot of tape but then in the case so um people wouldn't see it um so it really it really depends on uh on what you want uh the only thing that that i can say is if you provide feedback and if that's uh, what you want and that goes connected to a previous point that we discussed is provide feedback that is meaningful, that people understand. Because uh, if, uh, if the participant doesn't understand it, it will just cause confusion and, uh, and they don't know what to do with it. It's not actionable. So if you provide feedback that's meaningful and that's actionable and uh, people understand what, what they did and what they should do. For most sedentary behaviour and physical activity researchers, Collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project, especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time, causes unnecessary stress and hassle, and can easily derail progress of your project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data, introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian SenseMotion is a cutting-edge, next-generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data, a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw 3-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com. That is sens.fibian.com. Fibian, created by researchers for researchers. Yeah, and, and let's say that the research devices have, have quite a bit of difference how easy it is to create participant feedback reports. Some might be quite challenging. Some are providing that it's basically automatic and you can share the reports just as a web link, as a text message, uh, as a PDF, and it's it's basically self-explanatory and that's also important to consider if you are doing a research study because if you have a lot of participants and you send them a file that they don't understand you will need to support a lot and even if you would think that you spent five minutes explaining things to each participant and you have 200 it is quite a lot of time so you want to make sure that the reports can be understood by, by themselves and you don't need to explain them. And and then if we go for feedback or the data to practitioners and researchers, Miriam, you can tell a little bit more. 
Yeah, it's it's again, of course, what, what's uh, what's the goal, and it's important to consider that again, what is meaningful for the participants is maybe not what is meaningful for the researchers and for the practitioners who are interested in different types of data. So always uh, consider that in which form, and if it's needed, for example, will the practitioner and now for you know, thinking about practitioners have the time? Because as you said, time is a big constraint. Uh, uh, to to look at the data before, so would it be good to be able to to get the data before a consultation and can analyze and then discuss, or is something that the uh, the client comes to the consultation, you get the sensor, you upload the data, and um, you look at the data the first time with the with the participant. So these are just some considerations when choosing uh, the device. How how will you use the data? And when do you need the data uh, available? If uh, if you can upload it when uh, when you are with the with the client participant, or if you need the data beforehand. Yeah, good consideration. And maybe we are talking about physical activity measurements, but many times you can get some measures of sleep also with these devices. So usually sleep is measured in a way that, especially when we are in deep sleep, we are paralyzed so there will be no movement in us and because it's an accelerometer it will detect no movement at all we know that the person is or we are pretty sure that the people person is sleeping and also with the thigh or back horn device we can see that the thigh is horizontal or the body is horizontal so we know that the person is probably laying down and we can get estimation of sleep usually it's defined that we get estimation of bedtime how how long the person was in the bed we don't usually know exactly are they asleep but it it gives a rough estimate of sleep also with with this kind of devices yes absolutely Yep. So I think we will wrap up this part two. It was a little bit over 20 minutes of the basics of physical activity measurement with, with devices. And in the next part, in part, we are covering how to actually do physical activity measurements. And people might think that it's quite complex with the device that is measuring acceleration and sounds very scientific but we will tell three steps how it is actually pretty easy to measure physical activity so if you're interested tune up for the part three so thank you for this thank you thanks for joining us this week on physical activity researcher podcast if you like the show make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on twitter This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes. So be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.